Well, good morning. It is good to see you guys here today. If you have your Bibles, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, super excited about next Sunday as we kick off a, a brand new series that we're calling Dangerous Dreams. And, you know, I love it because every single one of us have dreams in our life. We, we have a, a goal that we want to accomplish, a, a life that we want to live. And, and along the way, there are some hiccups, there are some painful moments, there are some setbacks. And and uh, how do we deal with those things? And I, I think we can all relate to that. And so for the next four weeks, starting next week, we're gonna look at how we overcome those, uh, all those different uh, things that are adversities and situations that come into our life that, that derail those dreams. And so we're gonna look at the life of Joseph and uh, study his life. So I'm super excited about that. Today, we're closing out our series that we've called Mind Your Business. And I, I started the series off by by sharing that, you know, it's just kind of human nature to be nosy. You know, we're, we're just kind of intuitively concerned about what other people are doing and, and uh, we're, we're intuitively more inclined to look at the dust in somebody else's eye, as Jesus says, instead of examining and, and, and looking at the plank that is in our own eye. And so uh, that's why social media is so popular today because we love to follow people. We love to see what they're doing and, and uh, love to be engaged in their life and, and whether we know them or not. And then, but the negative thing that usually happens though, as we do this more and more and so much so uh, it's true today as we're, we're so much into social media is that it leads us to a, a critical spirit it leads us to gossip. It leads us to uh, not minding our own business, but really um, this, this lifestyle of criticism. And so as long as we're focused on other people's business, then we don't really have an opportunity to look at our own business. And so in this series, I, I just wanted to challenge you, challenge all of us that we would just stop the, the criticism and the gossip and the looking at other people and, and critiquing everything that others are doing and begin to spend the majority of our, all of our time, not just the majority of our time, but, but begin to spend that time examining our own life and, and stop talking about others and start focusing on our own issues and specifically we started off the series by talking about our work. And so we looked at what it looks like to be an overworker, a workaholic. If you missed that, I encourage you to watch it online. Last week, we had a guest speaker come in and talk about our marriage. And then today, I wanna to close out the series by talking about our money. Um, all right, so when you were a kid, you probably did this a time or two. It's probably been a long time, but I'm gonna ask you to kind of do a physical like exercise for just a second, okay? Can you, just, can you just work with me for just a moment? You don't have to get up or do anything, but you remember when you were a kid and you tried to like pat your head and rub your stomach at the same time. Do you remember doing that? Can we just like as an experiment, try that again? Can you guys just do that? You know, it's like... Oh, it's pretty good. You guys are really good. Actually, that's really terrible, sir. That's embarrassing. But most of you were really good. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, see, the, the, you didn't know you were coming to church for a physical, you know, challenge. But, you know, it's hard for our brains to kind of wrap our minds around that motion, right? It, it, it's a little awkward at first, and it's a little uncomfortable, and we definitely look weird when we do it. I'll just say that. But, um... It, it, it takes us a little practice to get used to. And in the same way, it takes our brain, our spirit, our will, our mind to do two things with our money. 
In our scripture today, we're gonna see that God tells us that really there's two things you, you, you should do with it. Two things, it's, it's really simple. And yet it's really difficult for our brains, our spirit, our will to be actually willing to do these two things that God calls us to do. And so we're gonna see today how we are in fact called to manage our money and to manage it well, all right? So 1 Timothy chapter six, here's what he says in verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now you might wanna circle that in your Bible, that which is truly life. That's an important statement for all of us today because every single one of us, whether you're listening to this or watching this online or here today, we all want that which is truly life. And the reality is some of you are not experiencing true life because you're trying to find life in worldly things. And anytime we try to find life in worldly things, it leaves us empty, it leaves us hurting. And so many people, even in the church, think that you know maybe it's uh, more money that is gonna give us true life. Even in the church, people think if I could just get a relationship, you know, that one soulmate, then I'm gonna experience true life. Some think, man, if I could just live a, a party lifestyle, then I'll experience true life. But that's not what he teaches us here. If you look up in verses nine and 10 in your Bible, he says, uh, those that desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You're familiar with that phrase. Uh, money is not evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And he says, those that desire to be rich, and so we live in a culture, we live in a, you know, uh, an American society that uh, in many ways teaches us to desire wealth, right? And, and as believers, we have to identify how the, the, the culture is influencing us and steering us in this direction. And, and he says, if we're not careful, if you have this desire to be rich, then you're, gonna, you're, you're basically falling for the temptation, the snare, the trap. Right, and the, and the snares, the traps lead us to do senseless things. In other words, really dumb things. Now, let's just, let's just have a poll. Let's just all be honest. How many of us have done senseless, dumb things with money? I'm gonna raise my hand. I have been dumb with money. He says there are people and we have this tendency to fall for these traps, these snares, because we're desiring more wealth. And so we do dumb things with money. And then he says, it leads to harmful things as well. And we can all probably attest to that, how when we made dumb decisions with money, it harmed our marriage. We fought about it. It harmed our kids because we didn't, we didn't provide for them in a way that we wanted to. It hurt our business or whatever it was. We know this by experience, some of us, that this is true. And so 
what are we to do? He starts here by, in, in verses nine and 10, and he's warning us about the desire to become rich. But in what we read, 17 and 19, he's actually talking to people who are already rich, right? And so if we want true life, it's not in, in, in getting more money. It's not in the desire to be wealthy. There must be more to it. And so he says to the rich, right? So that's the audience at this point in verse 17. Now you might say, oh, good, I can rest today because I'm not rich. He's not talking to me, right? Uh, That's our first instinct. And and, and so the idea of being rich is really a subjective concept, isn't it? Uh, What you might think is wealthy, the person next to you may say, that's not so wealthy, I need a little bit more in order to be considered wealthy. But very few people are going to, you know, talk in the atrium today after the service and say, oh yeah, by the way, I'm super rich. And so I just wanted to let you know. It's taboo in our culture. We don't say that. We don't come out and say that in most circles, but here's the reality. If you've got money in your wallet, if you can use your debit card today and it's not going to get declined, if you have money in a tin can or money stuffed under your mattress compared to the rest of the world, you're rich. And the reality is this, here are some stats. You're already in the top 5% if you have any form of cash on hand today. 71% of the world lives off less than $10 a day. 10% of the world is living on less than $2 a day. That's just over 700 million people who are living on less than $1.90. That's what they live on every day. The World Bank has defined extreme poverty as those who live on less than $1.90, right? So, that, so by that standard, most of us would say here today, listening today, could be considered by the world as wealthy, as rich. And that's what we need to understand as we go into the topic of wealth. We've got to understand that even though we might say no, I'm not rich. The reason why we might say that is because we would compare ourselves to, you know, the, 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 the people that have, you know, a mansion in Malibu in California on the coast, right? We compare to that. We, we watch Selling Sunset and compare to all those, you know, houses and, and, and things happening. And, and so the, the reality is we compare ourselves to other people in our country. But what he tells us to do here is is very clear. He says, as for the rich in this present age, so that's a specific phrase there that helps us understand that what he wants us to do is compare ourselves to the present age. Now the present age is the world that we live in today. Not our neighborhood, not our country, not our state, right? Not America, but the world. He wants us to compare ourselves to the present age. Age. And so if we have more food than we actually need, compared to the present age, the world around us, we're wealthy. If we've got a car, by the world's standards, we are wealthy. If you've got a closet with multiple pairs of pants and shirts, then by the world's standards, yes, we are wealthy. So then the question then becomes, who are we gonna compare ourselves to? When, when scripture says to the present age, I, I really believe he wants us to think globally and not just in America. I think Paul's point though is not to argue over, well, who's really wealthy and who's not wealthy? And I think the real question is, is this, how should you manage your money? How should we manage our money? That's the question. 
No matter how much you have, whether you're like, no way am I rich, or yeah, I think I am, I got enough. No matter where you fall, this really is the question. How should we manage and, and, and handle the money that God has given to us? And so he gives two warnings here in verses 17. Two warnings to start with, and then he gives us two specific instructions on what to do with it. So the first warning that he gives us is this. He says, money can make you arrogant. The word haughty there means arrogant, prideful, right? So not to be arrogant, not to be prideful with your money. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but money tends to do that. When, when you have a little bit more money than the people in your circle, sometimes that makes you feel like you are better than them, right? Sometimes a little bit more money makes you feel entitled. They should be serving me. Why isn't my cup refilled? Why is this taking so long? Why are these peasants not, you know, identifying all of my needs right now, right? We, we tend to allow money to make us arrogant and entitled as if everyone should serve us. He says, tell those who have money not to be arrogant. So I think a good question for us then to, to ask ourselves would be this. Does having more money give you a sense that you are better than others around the world or in your circles in the office or in your family? Or does having more money give you a sense of responsibility to help others? You see, that's a, that's a key difference here that we would, we would be wise to grasp today that we wouldn't allow, we would, we would, we would catch ourselves. We would, we would have the spiritual and emotional intelligence to say, okay, I'm not gonna allow money to make me feel better than others. In fact, when I recognize that I've been blessed financially, that actually would require me to have a sense of responsibility towards helping others. It's a different way to look at it. Philippians 2, 3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Right? And so this is the scripture that we see over and over again. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He starts with a warning, having money tends to make our ego puff up, but he says, don't allow that to happen. And the second um, mistake that we can make is this. He says, money is unpredictable. Money's unpredictable. Verse 17, don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches, the uncertainty. So we don't, we don't put our hope in things that are uncertain, right? Why? Because they're unpredictable. We, they, they change so much. If we're, if we're putting our hope in something that can sink or that can be stolen or that can be taken away, chances are it will be. And then we'll be ruined. Then our life will be devastated. Think about it like this. A couple of years ago, if you wanted to buy a house in Maryville and Alcoa in this area, you had your pick. You could go and you could make an offer on a house and you could actually, whatever the price was, you could like say, you know, come down about twenty dollars or $30,000 and say, how about you take this, buddy? And then you could also say, and we would like for you to play our closing cost. You could do that. You could do all of that. Not anymore. <laughs> if you've tried to look for a house or you've sold a house or you've bought a house because of um, 
people moving into this area because of the, you know, not a lot of inventory, and not to mention COVID and inflation and all of the things that have taken place over the last two years. Now, not only are you giving an asking price, but you're in many cases giving over asking price and you're not asking them to pay any closing costs. What do we see here? Just a, it's a reminder, right? That wealth, money is so uncertain. Nobody saw COVID coming. Nobody saw this inflation coming. Nobody saw how all of this was going to unfold and, and now how you know, gas is more expensive and everything else is more expensive. And it's like, what are we gonna do? And a lot of us panic. A lot of us panic right now. And if you've had the habit of overspending and your credit cards are maxed out and you've got this debt here and that debt there and now inflation happens, you, you, you were on a tightrope to begin with and now the anxiety builds up. And so he says, look, you, we've got to get this thing under control. We have to put our finances under the Lordship of Jesus and not just whatever we want because it leads to harm, it's senseless, it, it leads to hurtful things in our life. Money's unpredictable. One day you have it, the next day, maybe you don't. And so we don't put our hope in things that are unpredictable, uh, that, that, that are here one day, gone the next. We put our hope in Jesus. And so as God blesses us, we bow our heads and we thank God for whatever it is he has given us. And we confess to him and we say, God, this does not belong to me. You gave it to me. I thank you for it. My hope is not set or found in my financial plan, in my bank account, what I have or don't have. My hope is in you. My trust is in you. Now listen, saying that to God, praying that to God, praying that with your spouse to God is a very healthy spiritual prayer and habit for our life. It postures your heart in a position of humility to him. Not allowing money and wealth to make you arrogant. Not putting our trust in the uncertainty of wealth, but we are reaffirming to Christ on a daily basis, my hope is in you. And so he gives us two warnings. Money tends to make us arrogant, so guard your heart. And money is unpredictable, so don't set your hope on money. So now he changes and he gives us two um, directives on how to use money. And it's kind of kind of that, that got to be able to do two things at once, right? Pat your head, rub your stomach, right? Can you do two things at once? And the first thing is the easy part. He says, use money to enjoy life. Oh yeah, I like this. I like this Bible verse right here, verse 17, right? We're all good with this one. God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So in the context of the passage, he, you know, he's talking to those who have money, those who are wealthy, and he essentially says, use money and enjoy life, right? And we get that. Money is, is to be enjoyed and it's okay to be enjoyed. Money can be fun. Even Dave Ramsey, he got kind of cut on last week, but even Dave Ramsey tells us to budget some fun money, right? That's a good thing. And so there might be times in our life where we're budgeting and somebody asks us to dinner or go out to have fun. And we're like, well, it's just not in the budget right now. And so we might say no to that. But there are also times when you need to plan well, save well, you're paying off this, you're doing this well, and you're, you know, you're, you're living under your means. And, and as you save up, then boom, now it's time to go have some fun and, and to actually use that for your enjoyment. That is a good thing. The best way 
to enjoy money is actually to, to budget for it. And so we save a little bit and then we at some point are able to enjoy it. And God gives us that money, that, those resources so that we can in fact uh, use it and enjoy it. So God's asking you to manage that money, to do two things, right? Two things at the same time, enjoy it. We can do that really, really well. I don't need to talk about that anymore. But here's the second part. He says, use money to do good. Use money to do good. Verse 18, be rich in good works to be generous and ready to share. You can't be ready to share if you're spending more than you make. It's really hard to be generous when you're using everything that you make on your own family and on your own self. If you're using all that money on fun stuff and on yourself, if you're using all that money to invest in your own portfolio into your own family, then you've got to listen up. He says, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share. Now, money, we have to realize, is a tool. It's not bad, it's not good, it's really neutral. It's not evil, it's not, you know, it's not good. It's just neutral. Money is, it's a tool. Just like a hammer or a screwdriver, I can take a, a, a hammer and I can do something good with it. I can, you know, nail some boards together or I could also use it as a weapon. I could hurt somebody with it. It's the same thing with money. Money, money is not good, it's not bad, it's neutral. It's a, it's a tool that God gives to us to use. Yes, use it for our good, but also use it to be generous with others. In fact, I would give you two pointers here on how to use it to do good. And the first one is this, true generosity is demonstrated by the habit of giving. If you wanna consider yourselves in the eyes of God to be someone who is generous, then you need to develop the habit of giving. If you go eat lunch today and uh, you are not a healthy eater, but you decide today that you're gonna eat a salad with no dressing and no cheese and no croutons, you're just gonna go with the lettuce and the whatever else they put on that thing. Eating that, you know, sorry to disappoint, but eating that salad one day is not gonna make you a healthy person. One meal doesn't make you healthy, doesn't give you the, the, the lifestyle of eating healthy, right? It's actually the habit of eating healthy that would make you healthy. In the same way, you know, you can throw a, you know, a few bucks here, you can throw a few bucks there and, and, and give to a, you know, a family member or even give to God you know, here and there, but just giving a one-time thing doesn't make you a generous person in the same way that eating a salad doesn't necessarily make you a healthy eater. What does though is the habit of generosity. In the Bible, the habit of generosity is called tithing. And so we see this in Malachi chapter three. It says, bring to my storehouse a full 10th, that's a tithe, 10% of what you earn. Test me in this, says the Lord, and I will open the windows of heaven for you and pour out all the blessings that you need. Um, you've heard that before. This is old covenant. This is Old Testament. This is a law that God commanded the people of God, the Jewish people um, at that time, and they were farmers. And when you're a farmer, you know, you barter with the goods and, that you have for goods and services that you want. And so what, what they had was crops. And so God says to bring 10% uh, of what your crop is to the storehouse, the temple at that time. And that was used to care for the poor. It was used for the ministries of the temple. It was used for, for the priests and those who were performing all the, all the deal there. And, 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 and 
And they were called to do this on a regular basis. And, and so that's what tithing was. Now, the real thing, when you read the Old Testament, the Old, Old Covenant, you see that they were actually giving even more than this because there were other laws that they had to give towards and they, they had to uh, do, even when we went through the Ruth, they had to, what was called gleaning, they had to use certain parts of their field for poor people to come in and harvest the crops. And so when you add all of that up, they were giving somewhere between 20 and 30% of what they were actually making to the temple. And it was a law, they, they had to do that or they got in trouble, right? Now we live in what's called the, the new covenant. God has given us a new promise. Because Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, the new promise is the new covenant that in Christ, our sins are forgiven. We can have a relationship with God. We can have the gift of eternal life. That's uh, eternal life. That's the new promise. That's the new covenant. So when we look at the Old Testament law, we don't look at all, the, 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 you know, all of these little details and say, well, why aren't we killing animals anymore? Well, why aren't we doing this and doing that? Well, that's the Old Covenant covenant. Now, obviously the moral law still holds true today. So do not kill, do not steal. These are things that we obviously, you know, would follow. But the ceremonial law, the civil law is fulfilled in and through Jesus when he rose from the grave. So where does that leave tithing? Well, Jesus actually said something really interesting in the gospel of Luke in verse uh, or chapter 11, verse 42. Jesus says, but woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So Jesus has an opportunity here to say, look, you don't need to tithe any longer. Like that's old covenant, but he doesn't. He actually affirms it. He, he says, look, you, you should be tithing. You should be giving. You should be doing this. But don't just give money because I think what he means is that's the easy part. Giving money for Jesus is like, that's the easy part. The harder part is loving God in a way that you would love justice and love mercy and pursue justice and pursue mercy for other people. That's really the hard part. Writing a check ought to be easy for us. I think what Jesus is giving us here is this, this idea that, that if we want to be a generous person, then we need to develop the habit of being, becoming a percentage giver. Someone that would, yes, give 10% on a regular basis to God. Now, this isn't like the one number that we stick with because we are in the new covenant. It's a guideline that we would say, this is where we should start, but by no means is it a place where we end. And so we look at this as, as something that Jesus would encourage us to do today. In other words, we would make a plan to actually do it. Practice the habit of giving. In Matthew 6, 21, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the whole idea behind this is when we're able to give 10% or whatever, even more than that, it shows that our heart isn't worshiping money or tied to money shows that we are in fact loving God, honoring God. Uh, in the Bible, he speaks of money over 800 times and all of, out of all of Jesus's parables, more than half of them talk about money. And I, I read that and know that and I think, why does he do that? I think the reason is simple. Like this is what trips us up so often, especially in our culture. This is the one thing that's tripping us up and, and, and stopping us from grow, growing spiritually or, 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 or understanding what, you know, this next step that God wants us to experience because this is the thing, right? It's the thing that trips us up uh, continually. Mike and I have, have always tithed, even when we were 
um, when she was putting me through seminary on a salary of about $18,000 a year, she was teaching at a private school. I was seminary full-time. We were given then, we've given ever since then. And there've been times when we've been able to give well over 10%. And, and there's been times where we've just kind of stuck with 10%. And, and uh, I don't look at that as a, you better do that trainer, you're going to hell. No, like we're saved by grace. We're not saved by any one particular act, right? But we give because this is our demonstration of how to, in fact, be generous. Um, it allows us to put God first and not money. So true generosity is demonstrated by the habit of giving. You know, when COVID actually first started back in 2020 and, and we had to shut down services for, I don't know how many weeks that was, 12 or 13 uh, weeks or so. And um, it, it was one of those things when we did that, every pastor in America, including me, was like, how, how, is, how are we gonna like pay the light bill? How are we gonna pay the 40 plus employees? Like how are, practically is this gonna work, God? I, you know, and there's this worry that comes across. And it's funny to look back now, but, but uh, wasn't so funny at the time. But what I have, have, have learned, like what God has done in my heart over the last two years is like, wow, God is in control. No matter what you're going through, God is in control. And when you are faithful, I don't know how, I can't explain it all. I don't know how every I gets dotted and T gets crossed, but as you are faithful, he just makes it work. And, and what I love about this church is that even when we were not meeting, like the people, the partners of FC and the people of FC just continued to give. They just continued to give. There is a, there's a habit of generosity. And, and, and as we experienced that, it was just overwhelming. Like God just showing us, like I'm in control. I'm in control. I'm, I'm, I'm on top of it. You don't have to worry. And I've been so blessed by the people here and so encouraged by the generosity that we've seen over the last two years. Uh, this past December, we took up our annual vision offering and that vision offering came in and we, we kind of were seeing some more come in in January. So we were kind of waiting to see what the number was gonna be. But we, we, we had about $280,000 given and then even more that was pledged this year. So it was right under $400,000 that we as a church uh, gave for the vision and mission of Foothills Church. So we can praise God for that today. <laughs> Grateful for that. <clears throat> and so we... <clears throat> Obviously, you're going to wait for the opening from God, like what's next? And we're going to continue to save as people give. And, and as we save and as we give, we're looking at property and we're looking for, you know, counseling centers and how that can work. And so um, there's no timetable on this. We want to be financially uh, responsible and do it at the right time. And when God you know, shows us and opens up the right door. And so I just wanted you guys to know that and, and be encouraged by that uh, today. And as we continue to, to give, we know that God uh, is, is gonna provide and do some incredible things. And just so you guys know, like every year we do an audit of our finances because our business team, our elders keep a close eye on everything that is given. And that audit comes through and makes sure all things are, are where they need to be and, and, and accounted for. And so our business team is um, and a really incredible group, and so I'm thankful for them. So true generosity is demonstrated by the habit of giving. And then secondly, 
what he encourages us here with is that true generosity also impacts eternity. We baptized 140 people this year. That's incredible. Um, we've seen God work in our children's ministry. We've seen God work in our student ministry. And all of the gifts that we give to God through the ministries of Foothills Church really are impacting eternity in an incredible way. Verse 19, he says, uh, when we give, thus when we give, we're storing up treasures for ourselves as a good foundation for the future. Now, what's the future? Yes, your future life, but the future is your reality if your faith is in Jesus is that you will be in heaven for all eternity. And that is the future I think he, he's pointing to. You're laying a foundation for that future, the future that is to come, your eternity, everlasting life. And he says, you are storing up treasure for yourself, laying that foundation, and you will be enjoying that forever. See, the way I store up treasure in heaven is by using my money to do good for the kingdom of God, period. That's how I do it, every single one of us. And so I'm gonna enjoy forever what I invest in heaven. I'm gonna enjoy forever what I invest in heaven and I invest in heaven every time that I use my money for God's glory. And as I invest, let me remind you the, the last sentence in verse 19, then you will take hold of that which is truly life, that which is truly life. You see, the world says, gotta grab this material and this and do this and accomplish this. In God's economy, in the scriptures that we have before us today, what he is saying, what we've gotta learn is that God wants you to use your money, yes, for yourself, right? Use it to enjoy, but also use it for the kingdom and glory as God. As long as you're spending all your money on yourself though, money will be a burden. Every time money will be a burden. Uh, I'll close with this story. In Luke chapter 12, um, there's a story called the parable of the rich landowner. And so the, the story is, is, is given by Jesus. A parable is a story Jesus tells with a point. And he starts by saying, be on your guard against all covetousness. In other words, coveting, I, I want that, I want what this person has. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he goes into this parable to kind of prove that point. And he says, there was a landowner who had a ton of crops come in and he had so the, the blessing was so huge that he didn't have enough uh, room to store it in his barns. And so he said, what shall I do? What am I gonna do? I've got so much food here, I, 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 so many crops. What am I gonna do? And he says, well, I'll build bigger barns. And so he, he decides to build bigger barns to store it. And he says, listen, I'm just gonna be able to sit back. I'm gonna eat, drink, relax, and be merry is what he says. Right? And, and, and so <laughs> the man goes wrong here for you know, basically the whole thing, but he's already rich. And he sees that what he is about to receive is gonna make him even richer. And he's thinking life has given me some pretty extraordinary things. I'm living in, uh, abundantly. I've got so much stuff, I don't even have room to fit it in my barns. And he does ask a good question. He says, what am I gonna do? What shall I do? But his response was the worst possible conclusion. It was the worst answer he could have given. He says, I'll keep it all for myself and I'll give it and I'll use it and live off of it for the rest of my life. It'll make my life easy. He thought the blessing was only for him. He thought the blessing was only for his family and he thought this plan would bring his life ease. 
But in Luke 12, 20, it says, God said to him, fool, this night, your soul will be required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He thought the future was his to predict, but he was wrong. He thought his wealth was given to him to simply benefit only himself. And he denied God's authority to reign over his life. And he just wanted to use it all on himself. See, if you wanna please God and enjoy life, you've gotta be able to use money well. Money's simple, it's a tool, right? It's a tool that God gives to us to use. It doesn't have to be so complicated. We can spend it and enjoy it on our own life. Yeah, that's part of it. But you also have to prioritize God and generously give and share it for the glory of God. Every year, I give a challenge for those who aren't consistently giving. And um, just like in, in, in that passage we read a minute ago, we, we test God in his, his, his promises here. And so they say it takes 90 days to develop a habit. So I wanna, I wanna challenge those of you who aren't giving to God right now. I wonder if you would take what we call the 90 day challenge. And it's simply this, it's, it's you saying for the next 90 days, I'm gonna give a percentage and I'm, I'm gonna just carve out space. I'm gonna carve out room. I'm gonna give the percentage of what we're making, 10%, right? And, and I'm gonna watch and test God and see how he provides and, and see how he blesses me. And at the end of that 90 days, if you're like, Trent, I can't pay my mortgage. All you have to do is call us, email me, and we'll pay your mortgage. We'll give it back to you. We'll make sure, you know, you get it all back if you want it all back. Uh, but in, every time I've done this, what I've seen is the, the favor of God. What I've seen is God teaching people how to trust and rely on Him. And so uh, if you take this card out, all you gotta do is scan the QR code and there's three questions there. And I'd love for everybody to do this. Some of you are already giving. I'd love to see how many people at FC are truly saying, yes, I am a, a, a tither. Some of you will say, I've never done it, and, but today I'm gonna make that commitment. And others, you might say, we tithe, but we're gonna give more. We'd love to know how many people at FC are actually doing this and, and, and promising this to God. And, and uh, I, can, I can guarantee that no matter what your financial situation, when we prioritize God, He always takes care of us. He always does. So let's, let's test Him in this and see how He blesses us as a church. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your truth and your word. Some of it's easy for us and some of it's really, really difficult. And I know that many of us today have been challenged and many of us today are facing all kinds of issues, Lord. And maybe this wasn't the message they were hoping for today. There, there was another piece that they wanted or their heart was, was, was wired for something else today. But this is what you have for us today. God, help us to hear it and sense it as your perfect will for our life. And help us to take the steps necessary to honor you and to worship you. And so Father, we ask your blessing upon what's given today, what's given in the future that we would do everything you want us to do the way that you want us to do it with these resources, God, for your glory and for your kingdom. And Father, we praise you and love you today and thank you for this church. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like the video and leave a comment. And we also encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss a post from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, just head to our website by going to foothillschurch.com or by clicking the link in the description below.